0: Well, let's again uh, take out our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 30. And today we will be looking at verses 25 through 43. Genesis chapter 30, starting in verse 25. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Pay careful attention to the reading of it. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph... Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served you, that I may may go, for you know the service that I have given given you. But Laban said to him, If I found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your sheep and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from, from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good! Let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of hoplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they had bread when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth stripes, speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped, and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart, and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the trough before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly, and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys." The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We ask, O oh God, that you would help us pay close attention now to the preaching of the word. Be with this your servant. We ask, O oh God, that what is said here is true and right, that we would come to a correct understanding of this passage. And also we pray that you would apply this to our lives, that we may trust in you and be in awe of your work, your power, your glory, and that we would grow in our knowledge and our love for our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Throughout our study in Genesis, we have seen the invisible hand of God's providence. As he rules and overrules in all matters, bringing about his eternal purposes according to the counsel of his own will. The Westminster Shorter Catechism question number 11 teaches us that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures in all their actions. God, since creation, has been powerfully preserving His people and governing their actions, even working through, at times, unbelievers, so that His decrees would come to pass. God causes His promises to come to full fruition because God always keeps His promises. God had entered into covenant with Abraham. He had promised him, among other things, land, offspring, and that through Abraham would blessings come to all of the nations. That promise was now repeated to Isaac and then was repeated again to Jacob. Now, think back, if you would, to the, the-, the theophany at Bethel back in chapter 28. There, we would recall that God had promised Jacob that he would be with him. God's presence in Jacob's life ensured that he would prosper, both in children, as we've already seen, but also in wealth, which we see this week in livestock. Now, Jacob had come to Haran penniless, but he will leave as a prince with many children, with much wealth, wealth which had come again by the invisible hand of God. The birth of his children and the addition of many herds illustrates God's providential care and blessing upon Jacob, despite the efforts of his father-in-law, Laban, who had taken great advantage of him. Now there are many who, in an attempt to be wise, tried to acquire and build up their personal property and wealth prior to building up their family, but this wasn't even possible for Jacob. Laban prevented Jacob from doing this over and over again in the course of two seven-year periods of time in which Jacob worked for him. Instead of allowing Jacob to acquire wealth for himself, Laban attempted to leave him empty-handed. Which is ironic, considering that Laban's uh, question early on in, in Genesis chapter 29 and verse 15, he said, Because you are my kinsman, should you serve me for nothing? Well, this is exactly what Laban had done to Jacob. He would have left J- Jacob empty handed if he could. But God looked upon the situation and provided for his chosen patriarch. And so this scene that we're looking at today records the the final six years of Jacob's exile in Haran. Jacob will later state in, in chapter 31 and verse 41 that for 14 years he had served for the two daughters and for the final six years he served to gain flocks. In the end, Jacob will have spent 20 hard years working for Laban. Years which turn out were actually quite fruitful for him. Now one more thing before we dig into the passage, you'll note in this section that there are some, well how can I say this, some strange practices, some strange animal husbandry. Maybe well, you might even look at that and say this seemed kind of pagan in their practice. These rituals which were thought to bring about desired animal characteristics through the placement of sticks or some sort of sympathetic magic or whatever it may be. Now these passages must be read in context. In the context of what comes later in chapter 31. There it is made clear that what came about concerning the varied colored goats and sheeps was not because of this strange uh, animal Practices, but rather by the hand of God. Again, God's providence at work. Even in spite of the actions of Laban, even in spite really of the actions of Jacob. And so, as we dig in, after having fulfilled the 14 year uh, marital contract for Leah and then Rachel, Jacob. Well, Jacob was ready to leave. He was done with Laban. And it's understandable. He was ready to go home. But he was going to have to spend another six years before he's able to do that. Evidently, Joseph was born at the end of that 14 years. Didn't take long after that that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. So, look, my time here is complete. I've done what you've asked. I fulfilled all my obligations. I just want to go home. Now, if an indentured servant would be sent away with the appropriate supplies to get a new start for his household after the terms of services were rendered, this was the the appropriate thing in in the law to do. If you had a, a servant uh, as they released from the obligations, they would have something to go away with. Well, how much more should that be true for family? Laban should have sent Jacob away fully supplied, but of course in typical Laban you know, terms, he doesn't do that. He's unwilling to do that. Laban would have sent him away empty handed were it not for God's intervention. Jacob at this point anticipates that Laban would continue to attempt to exploit him. It's all he wants really is to make a clean break. Look at verse 26. Give me my wife and my my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given to you. Now you might wonder why should Jacob need to ask for his wives and his children? Why should he have to ask for them? I mean, by right, the children and the wives are his. These are his wives. Leah and Rachel belong to him. These children are his children. De facto, though, Laban claimed them as his own, and he will stay as much in chapter 31, where he says to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, all that you see is mine. Now, he understood Laban's claim on this stuff. Jacob asked then to be sent away, and all he wants are what really are his by right, his wives and his children. Although he is family, and he ha- perhaps he should have been compensated for more than he was, he does not expect anything more from Laban. He has learned Laban's character well. All he wants is his family and to take his leave. Laban, though, is not keen on letting Jacob go. Not quite yet. After all, since his nephew had come, he had increased in wealth, in his wealth greatly. Laban admits this, that he had discovered through divination that Jacob's God, that is, the Lord, Yahweh, had blessed him on account of Jacob. This kind of divination was a typical practice in the ancient Near East, though we can read in Scripture later that the practice was forbidden in Israel so greedy Laban is only able to discover by divination which would had otherwise been patently obvious to everyone else Jacob's hard labor had caused Laban's increase in wealth which was a blessing from the Lord and here again we see the powerful providence of God as he uses a pagan practice to accomplish his will the Lord allowed for Laban's magic to come to some knowledge of the truth even even that Laban himself would have to admit, even Laban would have to admit that it was an account of Yahweh that he was blessed. Nevertheless, notice that Laban doesn't even acknowledge Jacob's request. Some knowledge of true things does not change Laban's heart. Instead of acknowledging the request, he makes a counteroffer. Now, the sentence structure here is fascinating, if not somewhat revealing. Laban begins with a formula of courtesy. If I have found favor in your sight. But but the the sentence actually remains unfinished. It's actually really somewhat of a sentence fragment. If if I have found favor in your sight. Now he doesn't state that he wants Jacob to stay, although that's implied. But instead he jumps into what has been divined. And then he seems to blurt out, name your wages. It may be that although Laban knew that this day would eventually come, he wasn't actually prepared for it. And so he must quickly seek a way to keep Jacob with him. And so he fumbles and bumbles his offer through half-constructed sentences. And we understand that, don't we? We've all been there before. We're trying to think on your feet, and you just can't quite get everything you want to say out. This is a human experience for all of us trying to think on the fly, but not speaking clearly or cogently. Jacob had brought Laban great blessings from the Lord, and the father-in-law was forced to admit that, which is one of the ironies of the situation. Often God transforms a destitute situation around for the people of God. And so here, Jacob was poor, and yet Laban's wealth was dependent on Jacob's presence. Jacob wants to leave. Laban doesn't want him to. He's, he's sort of grasping at straws at this point. He wants, him to, he wants to continue to take advantage of Jacob. And the language he uses here echoes his previous offer. You may remember that. That's the offer which resulted in Jacob's humiliation. Where he ends up with the wrong wife. Here the Lord will use Laban's scheming against him to benefit to the benefit of Jacob and his family. And so Laban says as he has these sort of half-constructed sentences, as he's sort of fumbling around of what to say. He says, "Well, oh, your wages." <laughs> but what, why should Jacob trust him after all these years? I mean, Laban hasn't, hasn't shown anything, for, for anything but dis- for things to be distrusted. Jacob does not want anything from him. Instead of answering Laban's request, he reminds him of what a blessing he's been. To him, verse twenty-nine, he says, Do "You yourself know how I have served you. You know Laban. You know the fourteen years I've been with you. You know how your livestock have fared with me." He says, "You had little before I came, and yet it has increased abundantly. And the Lord Yahweh has blessed you wherever I have turned." Even Jacob is admitting or helping Laban to see that it's not necessarily because of Jacob himself. It's the Lord on account of Jacob's presence with him. Because before Jacob came, Laban had very little. But now, God had blessed him greatly. And this is actually the first time that Jacob bears witness to God's blessing. Laban had just admitted as much, but everywhere he turned, as Jacob served, his livestock had thrived, and he had grown in wealth. The Lord often will bless even the unbeliever through the ministry and work of believers. This is, in part, how you and I are salt and light in the community. When the body of Christ is in a place working and worshiping and bearing witness to the Lord, things change, lives change. Communities are changed, not because we're actively trying to change the culture, but because the gospel itself is transformative. The West Plains will change. The Ozarks will change. Because as individual people come to saving faith in Christ, we can't help but see the world around us change as well. And so in this way, even the unbeliever benefits from the work of the church. Hopefully we'll, with some jealousy perhaps, see the awesome power of God at work. Laban certainly saw it. Although in his case it didn't really change him. In fact, Laban even divined it. Although it doesn't seem to have had any spiritual impact on him. Jacob though makes the point that God is the one giving the blessing to Laban through himself. And that Laban needed to see that. Laban needed to acknowledge the Lord in this. Nevertheless, it was now time for Jacob to provide for his own family. He has worked 14 years, and so he just, it was time to move on. It was time for him to go home. Now, again, typical of Laban. Laban seems unmoved by Jacob's speech. Essentially, he just ignores it. Instead, he restates his question again. What shall I give you? I don't want anything. But what do I need to give you? It's not, even the, it's not even answering the right question. Laban is willing to give stewardship over his flocks to gain what he wants. What he wants is to take advantage of Jacob. Jacob doesn't want anything. He only has one request, and that is to pass through the flocks and to take all the speckled and spotted among the lambs and goats as wages. In other words, what he wants are the abnormally colored animals. As in, lambs were normally white and the goats were usually black or brown, and in taking the, stri- the spotted and the striped, he would be taking a very small portion of the population of animals, because the normal wage for a hired shepherd was twenty percent of the flock. That was the typical uh, that the typical wages twenty percent. Jacob is requesting a much smaller percentage. For these variegated colored animals would have been much more rare at that point. So why does Jacob ask for such a strange wage? Well, we find out later in chapter 31 that Jacob had had a vision from the Lord also. Where it was revealed that God would give him these as his wages. For the Lord had seen all that Laban was doing to him. Now the sad thing is that although it was clear that God was the one who was going to make things right for him, Jacob seems to muddle things up with his harebrained animal breeding schemes. And so Jacob proves that all all these oddly colored animals were to go to him as wages. And anything that is among his herd other than this would be considered stolen. Jacob's request does not stand in contradiction to his refusal to accept anything because he he was not asking for any of the oddly colored animals out of the present herd. He was asking for those who were born moving forward. And since Laban would surely inspect the herds from time to time, he wanted to have provision to avoid any possible charges of fraud. He doesn't want anybody. He, he doesn't want any situation where Laban can say, "Well, you know what? You actually have, you, you're defrauding me. Those are actually my animals." It's very clear because of the coloring, right? Any of the odd-colored ones, those obviously belong to Jacob. Any of the normally-colored ones, those belong to Laban. So it's all very clear. He anticipates trouble with Laban's family, which he's not wrong about. And so Laban accepts the agreement, and in fact, he's, he's very quick. Good, good, good. Yes this is what he wants let it be as you've said of course Laban has no intention of going through with this arrangement and to that end he wastes no time in seeking to defraud Jacob yet again and on that very day he segregates all of the speckled and spotted animals putting them in charge of his sons and sending them away a three days journey now why does Laban do this? Why does Laban do this? After all, Jacob's wages were not those animals in particular, but their offspring. Well, because Laban knew that if these animals bred with the others, there was a good chance that there may be more spotted and speckled goats and lambs. I mean, this is just basic genetics. Jacob was left with all the sheep and the goats, which were least likely to produce any wages for him. That fact alone ought to make it more clear that divine blessing is which comes to pass here. God is, is taking this, this situation and turning it upside down for Jacob. Starting in verse 37, we see that Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane tree and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted. Now, what do we make of this strange procedure? With Laban's sons off managing the other flocks, which included all the variegated sheep and goats, Jacob is left free to work the herds to his advantage. But what is this that he's doing? It seems to utilize some sort of Uh, folk custom now this may be a good place to remind ourselves one of the principles of biblical interpretation and that is that there are some things in scripture which are prescriptive and some things which are descriptive there are some things which are prescriptive and there are other things which are descriptives this is one of those descriptive things what is noted here is what Jacob did. Not whether or not it worked. Not whether it made a difference. whether It doesn't even tell us whether it was right or wrong that he did this. All it tells us is what he did. The moral or even ethical implications of this procedure are blanked for us. Moses simply records what Jacob had done. So, what impact do these sticks play? Well, what is said later will attribute Jacob's success and growth in livestock not to the sticks he sent out, but to God who provides all things. And here, it is God who provides Jacob's wages. And really, that's the point. And so what the Bible records is a procedure which Jacob uses, which he hoped would ensure that he would beat Laban at his own game. Ultimately, though, even Jacob must admit that it is God who gives him the victory. The sticks have little to do with it. Perhaps they make Jacob feel better, like he's contributing something. Well, I'm doing something. I'm putting some sticks out. Maybe maybe he feels better about that. But ultimately... They don't contribute. It's God and his providence that do. And so Jacob strips the bark off these fresh branches of poplar, almond, plain trees. He puts white streaks on them. He sets them before the watering places. In doing this, Jacob superstitiously believed that this may cause the offspring to produce the spotted and speckled varieties. And so what happened with the flocks? in the herds. Well, as they came, they made it before the sticks. Jacob had so uh, adroitly put out. The flocks produced, striped and speckled and spotted. So, well, I mean, on the, on the service. Well, it worked, right? He, he, got, he got what he wanted, or so it seemed. God was certainly pleased to produce from these animals the wages which were owed to Jacob. Despite the fact that the genetics from such creatures had been removed and set three days' journey away. Even Laban has to concede that God, the Lord's blessing, in this later, God is is going to be given the glory for what is taking place here. It is God who does this. The power to produce the desired offspring did not reside in the placement of sticks any more than the power to produce sons and daughters resides in men. Jacob was using some sort of sympathetic magic like Rachel was with the mandrakes. In both cases, it's the Lord who gives the blessing. This was perhaps a, a superstition or a belief that the environment would impact flock coloring. Ultimately, though, it is God who gives the offspring, both in wives and in flocks and herds. And as is often the case... God is pleased to work through or even despite the foolishness of men to accomplish his will. This happens to us all the time, doesn't it? Men, you know, speaking of generally men and women, but we do, we do silly things and God is pleased to still bless us. It's not because of anything, like we've got this thing figured out. It's because the Lord was pleased to do it. Jacob does not control the outcome of the flocks and herds, but God did. And that's really the point. And so as the variegated flocks were born, Jacob adjusts his procedure. In verse 40, he separates the lambs, having them face the striped goats and black animals. And he separates his droves from that of Laban's. And he chose the stronger animals so they would mate with uh, with each other in order to produce strong and variegated flocks. With the result being that Jacob increased with stronger animals and Laban ends up left with the feeble. And Here we see that Jacob is able to choose the stronger of the flock, probably based on, his, on their breeding habits. He was an expert herdsman. He was able to recognize the des- desired genetics and so he ensured that those animals would breed and have the outcome. In the end, though, it was God who blessed Jacob with a strong and varied colored herds and flocks. Look at verse 43. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks and female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So this is is the climax of the scene. God has provided such that Jacob is able to trade and increase in other areas as well. He's able to increase in servants and camels and donkeys. Remember, he he comes to Haran penniless, but he will leave that place a prince. The verb there in verse 43 increased in Hebrew is literally to break out. To break out. Thus the man broke out greatly. This is the same ver- verb that was used in God's promise to him in Bethel in chapter twenty-eight and verse four, when God said, "And you shall spread abroad; you shall break out." This shows that God's promises to him were being fulfilled. Jacob's increase was the beginning of his breaking out and of of being exceedingly prosperous. God was caring for His chosen Son. God's works of providence, as we said, are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all of their actions. But the creatures, that is to say, us, human beings, well, we do rotten things sometimes, don't we? Rotten things happen to us. Laban's actions towards Jacob are a case in point of rotten actions. Laban cheated Jacob multiple times. In switching daughters and forcing him to work twice as long for Rachel, and in, in trying to ensure that Jacob would realize no wages from the herds as he sends away the animals that would produce uh, the varied uh, uh, colorings of animals. And yet, even though even though Jacob had built up and worked and and helped J- uh, Laban to be successful because of the blessings of God, but notice that in the end, it is God who plunders Jacob. Isn't that, there's just something deliciously ironic about that, isn't there? Jacob is being taken advantage of by Laban. Laban's a cheat and a fraud, and God plunders him for Jacob's good. The Lord blessed Jacob and his flocks at the the expense of Laban, who had only accumulated any wealth on account of Jacob's presence. But all the wealth which Laban had gained through his cheating of Jacob ends up being transferred to Jacob anyway. Even Laban has to concede the Lord's blessing upon Jacob. God was committed to the patriarch as flawed as he was. The Lord was not frustrated by Jacob's silly ideas or the fact that he was even trying to fleece Laban himself the Lord in His providence worked out His own perfect will for His glory and the good of His people. In the process, Jacob saw with greater clarity the power and the grace of this God which he served. There is here a lesson for us as well. Sometimes people get the best of us. All of us have had someone take advantage of us, haven't you? People Take the best of stealing from us or generally hurting us in some fashion. All of us have had that experience. Our desire may be to lash out, cry foul, take matters into our own hands, you know, write a very mean Facebook post about how terrible this person is. But know that the Lord sees all that takes place. The Lord sees. And the Lord knows hearts of men and the Lord will bring about justice in his good time now will he plunder those who harm you for your benefit probably not probably not we can't know that really but we can know that God is committed to his covenant people and to his covenant promises he is working out good for you in all that takes place His hand of providence is working out His perfect will. Even in your life. Even where people harm you. And hurt you. God is working out His perfect will. And in the end, if you are in Christ, you have been given a new status anyway. Remember, if you are a Christian, then you are an adopted child, a blood-bought child of the King of Kings. You are already an heir of the promises. You are already a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. And the church is already inheriting the world. And the world has already been plundered for your benefit. Satan has been defeated at the cross and with the empty tomb. And presently Christ is at the right hand of God the Father as all his and our enemies are made a footstool under his feet. And he will return again in glory as a judge and a victorious king. So, what can this world really do to you anyway? Take take comfort and rest in your Savior. Because you have a hope which goes beyond this present time and this present world. Even as difficulties come your way and people do rotten things against you, know that God, by His most holy, wise, and powerful work, is preserving and governing all His creatures and all of their actions. Our Lord is on the throne. And you can trust and you can rest in Him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word and for the encouragement that you are on your throne, that you rule and overrule in all matters, and that even as people may try to take advantage of us, hurt us, just as we've seen Laban doing to Jacob, even as we, like Jacob, try to you know, fight back and scratch and claw, ultimately we know that these things are all in your hands, and that you have already plundered the world. As you plundered Jacob, you've already plundered this world and you've made us heirs of the King. Help us, O God, to rest in you. Help us to take comfort in knowing that you are in control of all that takes place in this world. And may we be a blessing then to one another. We pray all this in the name of our Savior Jesus, for His sake. Amen.